0: Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible educator, speaker, and author, Dr. Aaron Watson. Hello, Aaron, and welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Zach. So excited to be here.
1: Today, we are going to be asking the question, are you a love addict? And for those that don't know... Dr. Erin Watson is Canada's top love addiction coach. She is an expert in sex technology and relationships and is passionate about helping people find great love and sex in the digital age. She has over 15 years of experience in the field as an educator, speaker, author, and workshop facilitator. With a PhD in sexuality and relationships, Erin currently teaches classes on sexuality, family relationships, and human development at the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada. She was clinically trained as a therapist and brings this insight into the coaching world to help her clients overcome what is holding them back from incredible love. How are you doing today, Erin?
0: I'm doing wonderfully. How are you?
1: I'm so excited that you're on the show and I have so many questions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome.
1: you know, I think we're both on this show because we love love and we love the power of intimacy and love to talk about it. So isn't love the best thing on the planet that we should all just bring more of into our life? What is, what is this love addiction that you speak of?
0: I know part of me is like, wouldn't it be amazing if we were all addicted to love? I mean, <laughs> wouldn't our lives and society be so much better if we were all just so enamored with the concept of love i hear you love is a, a beautiful thing love addiction <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah not not as not as fun you know, love addiction, like, like any type of addiction that you might experience is, is fundamentally something that sort of takes over your life in an unpleasant way. When we talk about love, we're usually talking about this beautiful, enriching, beautiful thing. But, but when you experience love addiction, it's, it's like the experience of needing to feel an intense excitement at at all times in a relationship. And you're pursuing this intense, all-consuming perfection, usually as a solution to some real emptiness inside, right? And so when you think of love, you think of feeling full. And when you think of love addiction, it's really a vast sort of emptiness that you're trying to fill, yeah, I know we'll dive a lot deeper into it. <laughs> I mean, I, I could say it.
1: for <laughs> so many, so many, so many little nuggets of of wisdom you just said in that short statement. So first of all, love is a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. right? But love addiction is not fun, no. and warm, healthy love is a feeling of being full. And love addiction is trying to use love to fill this. Endless well of emptiness. Mm-hmm. So before we talk about well, where this you know emptiness come from, where did this whole come from? Let's focus on healthy and happy love. So later we'll go into signs that we might be love addicted, but what are some more positive green flag signs that we are in a healthy relationship?
0: I think that's such a beautiful question because it's the one I hear the most from clients as well, which is how do I know? I mean, not just that this is real. But that I can trust this, that I can feel safe in this, and that if I let my guard down, I'm going to still be protected. And I think when we talk about healthy love, where well, we're talking about mutuality, we're talking about respect, it's a relationship relationship. That is based on equality and independence. I like to say a healthy relationship is characterized by, of course, the regular things like trust and effective and respectful communication or ability to you know, handle disagreements with grace. But with my clients, I talk a lot about how a healthy relationship is also the ability to take up space and to be assertive. And to have healthy boundaries around what you deserve and what you want. Because there's so many people that rush headfirst into love. But don't actually say, this is what I want. This is what makes me happy. And so when I talk about this independence thing, it's feeling comfortable and confident saying, I am an individual person. I am living my own life. And I'm sharing it with you, but we're not becoming one person. I think that's critical because there is a narrative in society that a healthy relationship is one where you have mutual interests, you share hobbies, you share friends, you're sort of the same person. It's that two become one sort of mentality. And, and really, it's not that. It's two people who might be wildly different, but they have shared values and they have shared relational goals. A healthy relationship needs to be built on those values and those goals, and it needs to function. Whereas you can love someone and it be absolutely miserable and toxic, and that love is simply not enough. Mm. And in fact, love can get in the way of recognizing whether your
1: relationship's healthy or not. So I love everything that you just mentioned. So a healthy relationship is one that is based on equality and independence, right? We feel healthy and happy by ourselves, so we don't become incredibly dependent on our partner. And this independence is a feeling of comfort and a feeling of calm and also a willingness to set healthy boundaries about what we deserve, and about what we want. And we have Mm -hmm. shared values and goals that will bring happiness to our relationship in the long term. Mm -hmm. So if all those things are aspects of healthy love and healthy relationships, then what are some aspects of
0: toxic love? Toxic love is the belief that the other person is either the solution to our problems or the cause of them. So I think toxic love takes many forms. It can be obsession, it can be violence, but it can also be avoidance of intimacy. So you'll have some people who will think, you know, I cannot lose this person or I won't survive. And then what happens is they end up losing themselves because they're trying to like ensure that they stay together with this partner no matter what. And usually these individuals grow up In an environment where they sort of had to earn love or they had to earn acceptance from a parent or a caregiver. So they're really used to putting their needs to the side. They please others. That's what feels comfortable for them. And they don't really believe that they deserve more than that. And then we have sort of the other side of the spectrum, which is avoidant of getting close and sabotaging intimacy in a way. And this is where you see people constantly pull away, or they're not emotionally available, they won't be vulnerable. And oddly enough, it's usually these people who tend to feel love the most deeply. And that's why the vulnerability is so threatening. So they develop buffers to keep other people away. You know, ghosting, not replying to text messages, not sharing feelings. And of course, these two types always end up dating each other. So this is how you end up in a toxic relationship because you're going to get someone who's a chaser and you're going to get someone who's a voider. And always those two people seem to find each other. Toxic love is many things. It's not always violence. But if I don't mention violence, I'm doing a disservice to those individuals who need to hear their story validated. And so violence, control, and abuse is absolutely toxic. And sometimes what happens when someone is so avoidant and so needy of love, They try and possess and they try and control their lover Mm. and force them to stay. And, you know, they do that by systematically breaking them down until their partner feels worthless and can't leave. And so really what you see in toxic love are these manifestations of control and of need. And if you recognize that in yourself, then that's a good, I'll maybe say yellow flag or, or red flag, depending on how severe it is that maybe you want to seek some support.
1: Yeah, it's really heartbreaking to recognize how beautiful love can be, but also how many people get caught up in and stuck in relationships where there's control, where there's abuse, and where there's even potentially violence. And just hearing you talk about toxic love reminds me of some relationship columns that I like to follow. And oftentimes people ask questions about their relationship. And every once in a while, like every two, three weeks, you hear the same story and it, it's really heartbreaking. But somebody says, yeah, my partner says, if I break up with them, they're going to hurt themselves. Oh. Right. And and that comes into you know mental health issues. But and it needs to be addressed, you know, with a professional. But a lot of times, you know, a statement like that is that use of control, is that use of manipulation. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you leave me, things are going to get really, really bad for one or both of us.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: So... I'm curious about what kind of people and what types of people tend to get addicted to love. I know most researchers nowadays consider something like substance abuse as a mental health issue as opposed to a criminal one. When people think of addiction, they tend to think of substances like alcohol or drugs that people get addicted to. And there's also growing research that addiction issues are quite hereditary. If your parent is an alcoholic, there's a higher probability of you also being one. So I'm wondering, you know, what the research shows around love addiction and what kind of people do get addicted to love. And I'm also curious, you know, are there researchers who think that love addiction is a myth?
0: (laughs) Ooh, I love this question. I've been a researcher for over 15 years, so I love diving in. You know, the truth is there's not enough research on love addiction, quite sadly, Mm. It's a very understudied topic, and and perhaps it is because some people think it's a myth. There are definitely people out there who think it's a myth or will sort of dismiss that. But in my practice, I see it's a very real experience. So whether you want to say addiction or not, fine, we can debate the term. But the experience of, of how detrimental This type of relationship existence can be in in someone's life is very real. That happens. I think the reason we don't have a lot of research on this is, is partly because of gender divides in society. For example, men who experience love addiction are often written off as playboys or bachelors or, you know, they date around sort of like all men do, quote unquote. And it's seen as this natural aspect of masculinity, not something we need to study. And then Women, on the other hand, who experience love addictions are often written off as, well, they're just crazy. They can't keep a man. They're too clingy. They're too needy, which sadly is also something that's seen as a natural aspect of femininity. And so I think when we focus on those tropes, we miss out on the possibility to dive deeper and to really understand the phenomena of love addiction, because what we have now are very non-existent stats on the reality of just how many of us are struggling with love addiction because it's really overshadowed by these unfair and inaccurate stereotypes and i don't know if this is maybe why people think it's a myth but it's also not a hot topic i mean sex addiction is way more of a salacious topic so we focused a lot more on that and I, i'm sure we'll start talking about that soon but to answer your question about who can become a love addict I mean, really, it it could be anybody. There's no concrete evidence that suggests a genetic component to love addiction. Even though the mechanics of the addiction part are similar, but there's no like biological withdrawal. Um, you can quit love addiction, cold turkey with no dangerous physical side effects. You're not born with a predisposition to it. It's something that is created. And if you have an addictive personality, sure, you might be more likely to also become addicted to the infatuation of love. But anyone can get addicted to feeling high and in love if the blueprint of their own healthy self-esteem and healthy relationships has somehow gotten damaged along the way. So I think what maybe your listeners will find fascinating or might be a light bulb moment is that something that is emerging in research is that we're starting to see links between love addiction, and depression. And that love addiction is a symptom of an underlying depression. So many people who experience depression have a diminished capacity to experience joy and to experience pleasure, like an actual inability to really feel pleasure, even if it's very present in their life and so what happens is they they chase intense experiences as a way to reach a pleasure threshold that other people find easy to achieve so really it's under these conditions of perhaps growing up in an environment where you had to earn love or you had to work for it you develop low self esteem perhaps you have depression that's where someone is more likely to become love addicted and truly That could be any of
1: us, Mm. right? So it's really quite complex,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? Is our idea of love is wrapped up into stereotypes and conceptions around gender. And also love addiction can be tied to other mental illnesses like depression. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's also just some differences of opinion around what love is and what love can be. I'm reminded of a quote, I think it's Alain de Botton who said this, that basically... What most people call love is just the beginning of love. Mm-hmm. You know, all the songs that were, I can't stop thinking about you <laughs> and, the, and the movies where people fall in love and then they live happily ever after. It's usually just that very first phase of the relationship, what we sometimes call the limerence phase, yes. or, uh, the lustful phase. And I'm wondering what the connection is between the beginning of a relationship where some researchers say when two couples fall in love, they're on drugs. Like mm-hmm. all of the chemicals that also <laughs> associated with, with the adrenaline and the other stimulating chemicals happen when we fall in love at first. And I'm wondering a little bit about the biology behind love addiction because you described it as these people who become love addicted need to feel this intense feeling of excitement at all times so when we do talk about being addicted to love what phases of love are we talking about and what's the connection between that feeling of excitement and feeling of sadness that we might feel in depression
0: Mm.
1: and maybe some biology behind it
0: yeah Uh, you've really hit the nail on the head People get addicted to falling in love. And so in that sense, love addiction is, is a bit of a, a misnomer because they're getting addicted to the excitement and the intense infatuation of a new person. And, you know, it's this idea of this person is perfect and they're going to be the savior to all their disappointments and voids in life and It's the new relationship energy that everybody loves the most. And that's what love addicts are chasing. Fundamentally, people who are addicted to love or say they have a love addiction usually aren't actually addicted to love itself, meaning the long, deeply fulfilling, sustainable type of love. And usually when they experience that real lasting love, it's often rejected or it's seen as quite boring. So it really is that first stage of passionate love, which can last from, you know, six months to two years. But more often than not, we see love addicts at the very beginning of the dating cycle. One to three months is like this beautiful, perfect zone of rose-colored glasses. Mm -hmm. And that's the feeling that they're trying to maintain and emulate for the entirety of a relationship. And, And the reason why it's sort of within those first three months or so comes down to dopamine. So dopamine being a chemical in the brain gives you good feelings. It's the same chemical that courses through your brain when you eat tons of sugar or when you do cocaine <laughs> so you can see that it genuinely brings a biological high when you have a crush on someone and they they reciprocate that of course we would want to feel that feeling of being high all the time it is genuinely an amazing feeling the problem is if you struggle with love addiction like I said, you're not actually dating this person to assess them as like a suitable partner. You're creating a fantasy world in your head of this person as perfect and infallible. And then it comes crashing down. And so you get that, again, that sort of like drug crash And you want to chase a high again. And that's how it becomes a bit of a cycle. Something that you might find interesting, I often tell my students this one because I really love it, is that biologically speaking, what is happening in our body that we think is love is actually fear or anxiety. So that limerent stage or that infatuation stage, what's going through your body is Your heart races, you feel flushed, you sweat, you shake, you might feel a buzz all over your body, your breathing becomes shallow, it quickens. Well, you know, what else does this sound like? It sounds like when you're about to go on a roller coaster. It sounds like when you are terrified. It sounds like when you're about to have sex. It sounds like when someone is chasing you and you fear for your life. It's actually the exact same biological experience as fear and anxiety, but we just label it differently depending on the circumstance. And so this sort of also relates to toxic love in a way because toxic love is a type of love that is always in a state of uncertainty. Are you going to stay together? Are they going to leave you? Are you breaking up? Are you getting back together? So you're always sort of locked in this state of heightened physiological arousal. And rather than correctly labeling it as anxiety because it's a new relationship and we don't know what's happening with it, we label it as amazing, perfect love. And that this person must be my soulmate as a result.
1: Such an important distinction, right? That healthy love is deeply sustainable, deeply comfortable, long, intimate state of connection where one feels safe. But it's that toxic love where we're in that state of anxiety and state of uncertainty and almost in a state of threat.
0: Mm, Yes, exactly.
1: And another important distinction is that it's the new relationship energy, that state of limerence, that dopamine... And that's what love addicts are chasing. So my next question is, well, what should we do about it? And how can we cope with it? Earlier mentioned, you can quit cold turkey. So that's good. There's no withdrawal effects. You don't have to (laughs) maybe go to rehab or anything. But, you know, basically what does a person do if they realize that they are a love addict or perhaps if their friend is a love addict because you know a lot of times people ask questions and they're like I have a friend and I think that they might be addicted (laughs) to love
0: yes (laughs) or maybe we even
1: we have a new partner and we see this level of behavior with them so what are kind of the first steps to break out of love addiction
0: give me a call (laughs)
1: probably
0: your first step talk
1: to a professional
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, really, call call a coach, a a counselor or a therapist that is well-versed in love addiction because they can help you rebuild your love blueprints. They can help you create a stronger foundation of self-worth so that when you engage in, in partnerships, they're much more beneficial to you because ultimately love addicts are chasing something usually that is not beneficial. To them. And that's why they're experiencing rejection after rejection, not actually because they're needy, but they're not going after partners that are actually qualified to be their partners. Love addicts tend to date a little below what they deserve, believe it or not. And so if you speak to a professional, they can help you build a stronger foundation of self worth so that you start pursuing people that are much better matches for you. I will also say in some cases, you you should consider checking to see if you are depressed. You should consider talking to someone if you have any trauma or you suspect you might have some trauma work to do. That's absolutely something a professional can help you with. But like I said earlier, like you can quit cold turkey. You're not going to have the shakes. You might have the emotional shakes. I get that but no fear. The journey of unlearning love addiction is truly worth it. It's incredibly empowering. There is a light at the end of the tunnel and you can genuinely enjoy an amazing relationship. Let's say you have a friend or your partner is struggling. They might genuinely be afraid that if they leave this person or they stay single for a bit or they stop the love addiction cycle that they'll be alone forever. And that's just not what happens. And so whenever someone contacts me and says, I'm really worried about my friend," I say, listen, there's no shame. I would say to your friend, I care about you so much. I notice you're struggling. I see you're trying so hard, but you know, you keep getting your heart broken. You keep getting crushed. And I know there's a better solution out there. So you're worth love. And if you want help, I can help you find help. I don't think it's a terrible thing to maybe ask people, do you think that you might be a little addicted to love? Because you're saying it in a way that is compassionate. You're not shaming someone. You're not shutting them down. You're not trying to fix them. The only thing I would say not to do is don't go to a friend and say, you keep dating crappy people or have some standards. You you get your hopes up too fast or, you know, the the worst one, which is how can you expect anyone to love you if you don't love yourself? And I really, really hate that one because you've just depleted all hope from that person who is genuinely struggling to love themselves. And they're trying to find a sense of belonging.
1: Now, Before you mentioned that lack of hope perspective, I was thinking how hopeful your approach was and that the journey of unlearning love addiction is worth it and everyone can genuinely enjoy a relationship if they're willing to work on it. Yeah. And I want to go back a little bit into differentiating between love and sex addiction and also talk about why some people believe these things to be myths. Because I do remember long time ago, I think I was attending a workshop and the person was saying basically that sex addiction does not exist because we are naturally drawn to sex and something like love and sex are natural parts of our being while something like cocaine, like a highly purified substance, it's not. And we usually get addicted to the things that are aberrations of normal functioning in our bodies. So from a researcher's perspective, is sex addiction a myth, and what is sex addiction?
0: If this is where I'm gonna divide your audience <laughs> because this is some this this is controversial. There are two distinct camps. Is sex addiction real? Is it not? I don't necessarily think it's a myth. I've never heard that argument before that because it's sort of a, a natural human innate experience that therefore we can't be addicted to it. I mean, we have to eat and there are plenty of people that have addictions to food. But what I will say is because there's no genetic or physiological imperative that addicts you to either love or sex and no withdrawal that can damage you and there's no generational predisposition, that both Sex and love addiction are learned behaviors. They're picked up through family dynamics or or social and gender expectations. And therefore, I can completely understand why it would lead many people to say it's not real. I'm okay with that. I personally, I have some opinions on sex addiction, which I'll get into, which kind of are in that camp of, "Mm, I'm not so sure about this, but I will preface it by saying, listen, If you prefer to use the term sex addiction because it makes sense for you, then by all means, the same way, you know, someone doesn't need a diagnosis of depression to experience depressive symptoms. What I will say about the difference between love and sex addiction is we tend to see love addiction more in women. And this is mostly because women seek help more or women are shamed more for serial dating or more women are blamed when a relationship ends uh, for being so-called clingy or needy. So women tend to seek out therapists more frequently than men. That being said, I have plenty of male clients who exhibit the same behavior and are very honest and upfront about it. And so the only difference for them is when a relationship ends, there's typically a bunch of socially acceptable reasons why a man is single. He's still the man. And so it's not as easily identifiable that he might have love addict patterns. But in my experience, love addiction is something that affects absolutely both genders. Sex addiction, on the other hand, okay. (laughs) In all my years, in all my years doing this work, I have never once had a man or a woman come in that exhibited genuine indicators that there was an addiction to sex. It's more often, this is where the audience is "Mm, not gonna love me, it's more often than not an excuse that is a reason to justify perpetual cheating in relationships. And so in these cases, I don't assess this individual as having an addictive need to pursue sex as much as an unhealthy attachment style, perhaps trauma or an intense fear of intimacy. And so they're not pursuing sex as an addict would, they're actually avoiding connection, mm. intimacy, vulnerability. And so this is why it is so hard to come to a conclusion in terms of you know clinical work or in terms of research, because sex addiction does not match what we would classify as addictive traits. Porn addiction, on the other hand, hmm. yes, it, this, this could be a thing. I do see individuals that have the same dopamine rush, the same drive, the same disruption of their life, the same distress because they're compulsive about using pornography as a way to escape. The same other people, you know, might use food or sugar or drinking or drugs. They're using porn. We do see porn addiction, not so much sex addiction. And then again, if you if you don't love the word love addiction, I totally get that. But I do want to make clear that in terms of clinical experience and in terms of research, the distinction between sex and love addiction is less about gender and more about distress. Someone with a love or sex addiction, whatever you want to call it, is going to feel immense distress. It is going to fundamentally affect their relationships, their day to day functioning. Whereas someone who's having tons of sex for fun, they're not going to feel distress. Someone who's trying to cover up cheating, maybe they'll show some false remorse, but no genuine regret. And that's going to be your tip off. Is it an addiction? Or is it an avoidance of relationships?
1: I very much agree with what you're saying, because, you know, we can kind of call it what we want, right? Words are just signposts to an actual experience. Mm -hmm. And whether you call it love or sex addiction, what is quite obvious is that a person feels that they are behaving in a way that's causing them an immense amount of suffering, either for them or their partners. And it can be quite compulsive and they feel unable to stop and they get into the same toxic love cycles over and over again. Mm-hmm. unfortunately, we'll have to save porn addiction for another another podcast episode. We can title that one, Are You a Porn Addict? <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> because I did want to go a little bit more into breaking out of the patterns of, of love addiction and what we can do to really ensure the happiness and health of our relationships. So you mentioned a few things briefly earlier on. You mentioned how you with your clients, you help them rebuild love blueprints and you help them to come from a strong place of Mm self-worth. Earlier we mentioned that love addicts have an inner feeling of emptiness that they're trying to fulfill that a loving relationship just isn't going to fulfill in the way that they're navigating around it. So I'm hearing self-esteem is a really wonderful way to break out of love addiction and building one up and not becoming so dependent on a relationship. And I'm wondering, what are some other things that people can do, people can work on, people can build in order to ensure happy and successful loving relationships in their lives?
0: No, I love this. I do believe, you know, it really always comes down to self-esteem, which is so easy for me to sit here and say, oh, just improve your self-esteem because it is truly a very challenging thing to do, especially as a quick fix. But it is a journey. And if you start now, you can get there and see immense rewards. Another important thing is to look at your attachment styles, because if you have an anxious or insecure attachment style, you're much more likely to end up in a toxic relationship or one that can turn into love addiction. Because really what happens is you're trying so hard to prove that you're worth Love Mm -hmm. that you're worth this person's attention, that you're worth belonging, that you're working your butt off to be special enough. And this is where I really do work with clients on this feeling of I don't feel special enough and I want to feel amazingly special. And I get it. We all, we all want to feel special. Like we matter. I mean, this is fundamentally even what kids today are experiencing through social media is if I post a million times, if I get a million likes, then I matter. And I want to matter in this world. And I want to matter to someone. And love addicts are so desperate to matter that they're putting all their energy into pleasing others Instead of stepping back and assessing what do I need to work on within myself so that A, I'm attracting the right people to me and B, I'm not hanging on hope that this other person is absolutely the most perfect thing and will be the solution to all my problems. And if you're listening and you do see yourself in anything that I've said, I hear you. It often feels at first that you're perpetually sober when you stop dating with a love addiction cycle. It's like everyone around you is having this like booze soaked rager and you're drinking a glass of water being like, (laughs) woo love is fun. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good when you're, when you're breaking away from love addiction and you're stepping into yourself and you realize you have just you and you have low self-esteem and you have this void And you want to feel special and you want to feel amazing, but you have to rely on yourself. It's kind of like looking at the world in black and white and you just want to see color again. You want to feel something again. And I think, again, it comes back to resetting your blueprints. You can rewrite your blueprints in a way that teaches you to become accustomed to genuine joys, real intimate connection that are based on knowing that you have inherent value and inherent worth and not chasing the affirmations or the external validations from other people that are fleeting and aren't going to actually do anything to patch up some of the emptiness that you might feel inside.
1: Yeah, listening to you reminds me of of the importance of self-love, filling up our own cup rather than relying on other people to fill it up for us. And it also reminds me of how important it is to reclaim our worthiness of love, to recognize we are worthy of all the love that our heart can handle. And I'm wondering what that looks like to reclaim our worthiness, to build up our self-esteem. Does it look like the posted note on the mirror that says, you are amazing, you are beautiful. You are (laughs) the best person on the planet. And (laughs) like little
0: affirmations.
1: (laughs) How can we start to build up our self-esteem and to fill up our own cup?
0: This is one of the most important questions I think that we should be asking in elementary school Mm. because there's so much in the world that can take away from our feeling of belonging and our feeling of worth. And reclaiming that space in life that says i deserve to be here and i'm worthy just as i am is literally the foundation of of love relationships happiness success everything it's knowing that you you are inherently valuable simply because you are a human in this world and i'm i mean i'm all for it. if you find an affirmation that works for you yes yeah, stick it on the mirror stick it on the fridge read it all the time definitely but do be mindful of the fact that the brain needs to also believe what you're saying. So, for example, if you're struggling, we'll maybe just use a very simple example, like you're struggling because you don't like the way your legs look or something. Standing in front of a mirror going, my legs are amazing. They're so amazing. I love my legs. Your brain's going to be like, mm, okay, <laughs> whatever. You keep telling yourself that. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to actually create a new neural pathway, because it doesn't inherently believe that what you're saying is true. So when you create affirmations, which I think are an amazing way to start building self-esteem, make sure that they are believable to you. So maybe you don't stand there and say, my legs are amazing. You say, I love my arms. I love my belly. I am worthy of this. I am willing to appreciate what my legs do for me. Mm. Those are true statements. Your brain can't argue with them. And eventually, once your brain is on board with those statements, then you can slowly expand into more self-lovey ones. Like, you know what? Actually, my legs are pretty great. I think I can see that now. And so the same goes for building your self-esteem. A very simple activity I ask my clients to do is every day, I want you to write 10 things that you value and appreciate about yourself. And most people will say, oh gosh, I don't know if I can think of 10. And I'm like, really?
1: Hmm.
0: What about your fingernails? Do you have cool fingernails? Like, Are you really good at writing? Do you have neat handwriting? Are you super amazing at car karaoke? Anything, anything big or small that makes you awesome, write it down because you're not in the habit of reminding yourself of all the gifts that you bring to this world. And I want you to get in the habit of reminding yourself of all of the things that make you precious that make you special, that make you unique, that make you awesome, so that you don't have to go elsewhere to search for those affirmations. They're coming from within and they're so grounded in the truth about who you are as a person.
1: I'm just like appreciating what my legs are doing for me. <laughs> like, yeah, my <laughs> yes. legs, you know, they take me everywhere I need to go and they dance. And yeah, being able to just bring a level of gratitude to ourselves and our lives mm-hmm. and... I also go back to what you said earlier, that so much in the world can take away from our feeling of belonging. And you mentioned, oh, it'd be great if we taught this in elementary school. And I was thinking back at elementary school or any type of school where you constantly had to prove yourself. You constantly had to pass the tests, And oftentimes we even had parents who would judge us if we didn't do what, what we needed to do to be mm-hmm. worthy of their love and belonging. After we become adults, then we have to unlearn that patterning, that there are things we need to do in order to be worthy of love, and instead reclaim our worthiness from the inside out.
0: I mean, I realize that wasn't a question, but you've, you've touched on a really important <laughs> point. And that is growing up, we are praised when we accomplish something. We often get that validation when we've done something really good. And so we learn that we're acceptable when we've produced something amazing. And that can turn into some sort of perfectionism and that need to constantly look for that approval. But if in elementary school, we started to teach that the process is important, not the outcome. I mean, you're worthy no matter what the outcome, but hey, look, you tried really hard. Did it fail? Did it succeed? It doesn't matter. You practiced. And I mean, this comes back to yoga, this comes back to mindfulness, this comes back to gratitude and about being present on the journey. And when it comes to building self-esteem and, and even building healthy relationships, it's the same principle. And that is every day you practice and every day you choose to be mindful and to be grateful and to believe that regardless of the outcome, you're doing an amazing job just existing.
1: You are doing a wonderful job just by existing. I hope all of our listeners take that message into their heart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And thank you, Dr. Aaron Watson, for giving us such affirmations and such gratitude for our being and helping to fill up our own cup of love. i have appreciated our conversation today. And I want to finish by asking you a question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love?
0: What a great question, Zach. I wish everyone knew that if we focused more on giving love, we would feel much happier ourselves. And that often it's our fear of losing love that prevents prevents us from experiencing love in the first place. And I think that's why we see all the trauma in the world especially today, that we are seeing. And so if we all went back to basics and recognized that maybe the meaning of why we're here in the first place is to give love, then we will all feel way more fulfilled and that emptiness would be erased.
1: Yes, focus more on what you can give than what you can get. (laughs) And fear is what prevents us from experiencing the love we desire in the first place.
0: Mm
1: Ah, thank you so much, Dr. Aaron Watson, for coming on to the show and sharing us your abundant wisdom for our listeners who want to learn more about you and get in touch with you. How can they find you?
0: You can go to my dumpster fire of a website <laughs> at at uh, DrAaronWatson.com. I say dumpster fire because I know nothing about websites and I made this one myself and it's in the process of being switched over to an actual professional. And uh, Dr. Aaron Watson on Instagram, Dr. Aaron Watson on Facebook, or reach out to me, Dr. Aaron Watson at gmail.com. I keep it simple and I'd love to hear from people.
1: Wonderful. So feel free to reach out to Aaron for any questions that might have come up or if you yourself are concerned about any possible love or sex addiction that you might be exhibiting in your life. Thanks again, Aaron, for coming on the show. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you realize that you are worthy of love no matter what. There's nothing you need to do to prove it. We hope you realize that healthy and happy love is fully possible no matter your past history. And that healthy love is safe and committed and connected. And toxic love is based in fear and a feeling of emptiness. So fill up your own cup and think about what you can give less than what you can get in your loving relationships. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to ZachBeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Aaron.
0: Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com.
1: You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.